You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Psalm 23, verse 1. This is a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Father, we come before you just in this moment asking that you would give us clarity of thought. God, that you would help me to communicate clearly this word. Lord, it is a daunting passage as it is so rich. And yet, God, we find that no matter how far we dig deep into your word, that we never find the end. You have and hold an unsearchable riches of truth and life. And so, God, help us uh, today to just uh, marvel and maybe stand in awe at who you are as our good shepherd. And God, I pray that you would help us to walk in light of these things as we leave today. And may you bless these families and these people And God, give them grace and mercy as we walk in these times. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, 10 observations for you today. We'll just be walking through them as we go. Uh, The first one is shepherd. We're gonna look at this first phrase. A shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. The first phrase that we see, the first words that we see, really the first Hebrew word is is Lord. Uh, The first Lord. And and, and many of you are familiar in your Old Testament. uh, When you see the word Lord, and for your translations, you'll look at it and it'll be in all caps. You'll see L-O-R-D. And every time you see the word Lord uh, in the Old Testament in particular, it is describing God's personal name, Jehovah, Yahweh. So the Lord is substituted there for that. And so Yahweh is my shepherd, the Lord in this sense. God's personal name revealed to Moses himself at the burning bush when God told him, when Moses says, who do I say will send me? Like, who am I gonna tell everybody is sending me? And he says, tell them I am who I am sends you. The God who is, the great I am, we sing about, the creator, the Lord of hosts, the Lord as we sing, the Lord of hosts or angel armies speaks, God is is the one who speaks the world into existence and it is him, uh, the word, right, in John that we see walking and being veiled in flesh. The great God, our Father Almighty, the unchangeable one, as it says in Revelation, the Alpha and the, the Omega, the one who has no beginning, who has no end, the one who is the, the first uncaused cause, the one who has started all things, the I am, the being whereby all being derives its being and start. For in the beginning, God. It is that great God who is my shepherd. And to just think for a moment this this tension between the greatness of God that we so often worship and sing to and the personal nature of God. 
and the, 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 the lowly, infant lowly, which we celebrate here in Christmas, this, this child in a manger, this baby before us, helpless babe lays before him, yet the creator of the universe, likened here to a shepherd. A familiar theme for those of you who are churched, you have read the word, you have been around the church a lot, you know the shepherd theme runs from cover to cover. It is, it is one that is common, and yet I think those things for us that we assume, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. In fact, the title of today's message is The Good Shepherd. Yes, we know that, but who is and what is a shepherd? You're familiar, a shepherd was, was not exactly a, a glamorous job, you know. It was often likened to this, the, a poor man's job, a lowly person's job, the one who actually was there with the sheep day in and day down, day out, typically reserved for some of the lowliest in the family to actually shepherd the flock. In fact, God, for us to consider what we just talked about, the God of the universe to, as it says, to condescend to our level, <laughs> to even now, even condescend to the level of being likened to a shepherd the King of kings, almighty God, yet now likened to a shepherd. A shepherd lowly in the manger he lay, right? Yet God consistently uses the theme of a shepherd. He's over and over reminding us that he is our shepherd. He describes the leaders of the church in the New Testament as shepherds, and he describes leaders in the Old Testament as shepherds. In fact, the way we view the word pastor, that, that elders pastor, that word poimen is, is actually shepherd, that Elders, shepherd, we are called to pastor. This picture is the word that he uses to designate the leaders within the church, that we are to shepherd the flock that God has entrusted into our care, as it says in Acts. You know, this is, this is the picture that we have, this, this metaphor of who God is. And, and so if we think about how important this word shepherd, it, you can think of it, when did this all begin? When did this start? Well, we can even think of it like, who was the first shepherd in the Bible? Do you know we won't do like a question and answer today maybe. But who is the very first shepherd in the Bible? If I'm correct on this, I think it would be Abel. He brought some lambs. He brought his offering. And so we see, even from Abel all the way to the end, we see that the Abel was a shepherd. Abraham was known to be a shepherd. Lot and Isaac and Jacob Rachel and Laban, they all lived this nomadic lifestyle of having flocks and shepherding herds, herdsmen. Moses in particular, well even in fact, sorry, skip Jacob's 12 sons are all called, remember he's going to look for them as they're in the fields with their shepherd, as they're shepherding um, uh, the animals in the fields and, and Joseph is sent out and in Genesis 37 too it says Joseph who was also a shepherd among them. Moses was a herdsman and a, and a shepherd, and when he was called. David, we see him, right, as, the, as Jesse has the lineup of all the sons, and they're like, there is one more, where is he? Oh yeah, the little guy, David, he's out watching the sheep, he's out in the fields, but you don't really want him. <laughs> and then we see David uh, as a shepherd, we see Amos, who's a shepherd in Tekoa, I think it is. Shepherds came to honor Jesus, who was one of the few people there at the birth that were called by God. He could have visited any type of person at that time and yet called the shepherds to come and honor Jesus. The prophet Isaiah is described as a shepherd who feeds the flock of Israel. The plight of Israel without leaders in the Old Testament is likened to a flock without a shepherd. The writer of, writer of Hebrews calls God the great shepherd of the sheep. 
Peter says, all we like sheep have gone astray, quoting Isaiah, but he then says, have now returned to the great shepherd and overseer of our souls, the great shepherd of our souls. And then Jesus Christ most intimately in John 10 refers to himself as the good shepherd. And I think this is where it strikes home for me that the Lord, God, Yahweh, his personal name, the great I am, is my shepherd. He is one that pastors and shepherds my very soul. But he is also personally mine. Do you see that? That the Lord is my shepherd. There's an intimacy here that David is writing regarding his relationship with God. That God could be his and, and we are the sheep of his pasture, right? As it says in Psalm 100, I believe it is, as we read in, 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 uh, before Thanksgiving, we looked at Psalm 100, and it reminds us of these very words. It says, and know this, that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He is our shepherd, and we yet call him by his name, that he, the Lord, is my shepherd. And then by calling the Lord a shepherd, we're also saying something, yes, about God, but something about ourselves as well, that we are likened to sheep. Now, sheep isn't maybe the most flattering of animals to be called, right? right? In fact, my, my girls and I play this game at dinner time. I don't remember, or often when we're in the car and they're bored trying to think of something, uh, they play a game called, I have an animal in my head, okay? <laughs> Basically, it's 20 questions, okay? But they said, can we play, I have an animal in my head? And I'm like, that sounds weird to other people. Uh, but basically, you think of an animal and they all try to guess what animal that is. You know, is it big, is it small? Um, does, it, does it have stripes or spots or whatever? Uh, when Tay does the game, you, you can't take every answer to the question at face value. Sometimes I've heard the animal is small and it ended up being a giraffe, and so I'm never really sure what answer I can rely on from her. But at the end of the day, there's a very limited number of animals that you can finally uh, guess at. But if you're guessing a sheep, the questions that arise regarding a sheep are not exactly, is it strong? Well, not really. Is it fast? Well, not so much. Is it, um, is it ferocious? No. Is it big? No. Is it, is it smart? Uh, certainly not, you know, right? Uh, you're like, what, how do you, dis- is it fluffy? Yes, you know, like the, uh, a sheep isn't exactly, you are uh, the cheetahs of the plane. No, we are called sheep, sheep. You know, sheep are not very smart. They're not known for being particularly wise or they're not likened to like an owl or something that we think of colloquially. It's kind of a dirty animal. It's, it's a herd animal. It's a, it's a follower. I think I remember even growing up as a kid, the DCA ministry team and program that I went to, Dublin Christian Academy, they did a program often acting out this very thing and it came up in my mind this week thinking about acting these, this storyline that God is the shepherd and we are the sheep and they had, a, had a, a person actually act out what it was like to be a sheep. And, and they tell the story of kind of acting this scenario out that sheep are very helpless and I can remember the sheep, the person, uh, the, the high school lying on their back and couldn't get up because what happens is when they're too, uh, their coats get too big, they actually can't, they, they fall over on their back and they're completely helpless. Philip Keller, a former shepherd himself, says this. He writes from his experience and perspective of Psalm 23 as an actual shepherd. He says, sheep can get themselves into situations they can't get out on their own. A heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. 
It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out and relax. And then suddenly, the center of gravity in the body will shift and it will turn its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. And then it might feel a sense of panic and it starts to paw frantically. And frequently, this only makes things worse. It will roll over even further. Now it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. In this position, eventually the gases will build up in the body, cutting off circulation to the legs. And often, if it is left alone, it's only a matter of a few hours before the sheep dies, lying on its fluffy back. (laughs) I was like, well, that is a uh, very humbling story to consider. A sheep falling over and lying on its back, completely helpless apart from the shepherd. Unable, unable, completely unable to save itself. And we, we know of this verse in, in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, right? We have turned everyone to his own way, but this, this idea of Isaiah 53, and then I, I think of, I think of uh, the video that I remember our dear uh, Mark Humbo who shared uh, one prayer and share, I don't know, a couple years ago now at this point. Uh, I remember him talking about this in elders meeting and, and, and just thinking us through the, in John 10 when Jesus says he is the good shepherd and, and the sheep know my voice, he says. They know my voice. And, and he came in a, at a prayer and share, he showed a little video and I probably should have found it at some point, but he showed a video where, where the, these people are trying to call these sheep in from the field. Have you seen this? Where they, they go out and they're trying to, hear sheep, hear sheep, come sheep. You know, they're all yelling and trying to get, and then they finally all die down, nobody can do it, and the shepherd walks up to the fence and says one word, and then boom, like a hundred sheep just going, they come right to him. And it's just an incredible picture. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd, but they're not willing to listen to everybody else who's crying out for them. They obey the voice of the shepherd, for he is the good shepherd. And I think for us, as I, as I walk through this verse and this passage and this thought, we ask ourselves, the Lord is my shepherd. The question for you today then as a pastor, as I preach to you, is, is the Lord your shepherd? Is he personally yours? Do you have a relationship with Yahweh who is likened to a shepherd? Do you know his voice? Do you know what it sounds like Have you spent time with the shepherd of your soul? Are you in a relationship with him where you can speak to him and he can speak to you? Are you willing in many ways to give up control and allow yourself to be shepherded by the good shepherd? There's a lot of questions that are difficult for us as sheep to answer. For so often we as sheep think we know best. (laughs) We wanna take the lead when really we know that we are the ones who are lost and yet it is the great shepherd of our souls, the one who will leave the 99 and go after the one that is lost to bring us home. The love and the care and the grace that that shepherd has for even you is so powerful that we need to remind ourselves that we we need to begin in this place, to begin with Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. I personally affirm and believe that, and I walk in that to start, that it is this flock, this church, this people of God that we are led by the great shepherd of our souls, the unity that we find in the presence of God that unites us together as one flock, as we find that is in this Psalm, Psalm 23, we find the thing that unites us together, the thing that brings us together is that we are all willing to commit and admit to God that he is our shepherd and that because of that, we can live in this next phrase. 
and we're gonna spend the majority of our time this morning on these first two phrases, I believe, but it, it says the next phrase, number two, is presence, I shall not want. And I think this first verse sets the entire setting for the whole psalm, that if the Lord is my shepherd, I can live in a place where I say I shall not want. The idea of presence versus absence is what I wanna kinda think through. That in want, that when I want something, there is something that internally I feel that I am missing. I have this FOMO, right? I feel like I'm missing out of something, right? A fear of missing out. There's a sense that I'm missing something. I am lacking in something. They're implying that there is something that is incomplete. I am uh, devoid of something, and so I want the thing that I do not have. Someone else has a brand new car, and you see that car, and you want it. It's almost like the Bible says we covet, we desire, because we do not have that thing, and we think we need it, therefore we want Other translations might even say, some of your translations might say that I shall not be in lack, or I will have no lack, right? Lack, you lack something and something's missing. You are without it. I I have an absence of something in my life. There is a real lack, L-A-C-K. I'm lacking. The opposite of this, the sense of lack is an absence of something you need, real or felt. No lack is a presence of everything you need. A, a want or is an absence of something that I feel that I want, but having no want is a presence of everything you need. It's a real sense of godly contentment. I shall not want. And sometimes I've read that and I'm like, is that even possible, right? You know, like, really? You could live your life without wants, especially Christmas time. We got your list, you know, what do you want for Christmas, right? And that's fun, it was a great time of year. I mean, frankly, I still would enjoy a few presents, so I'm just saying, I don't really want anything, but there are some things that I'm like hoping to see on Christmas day, if I'm admitting, right? Okay, so we have these sense within us that you're like, I still kind of want, and so, Christmas time, we celebrate gift giving, that there is a sense that we have received the greatest gift of all time, so I get that. But in this context, when we think about it, are these things that, what is it that we truly, really need outside of Jesus, right? When it comes, the, the song, give me Jesus, when I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, take it all, but give me Jesus. I don't want because I do not lack anything in God. He provides all my needs for Jesus is all I need. He is my shepherd. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6.10 as he's describing all the things that he's endured and the suffering that he's gone through. He says we were people as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We were people as poor yet making many rich. We were people as having nothing yet possessing everything. I love that verse. God's presence means there is no absence. That God's presence among us means that there is no absence. God is here, he is not absent. I don't want, I have no lack. We think of the focus of this theme of God's presence is reflected in the entire psalm. You, you breeze through the psalm and you will see the fact that he makes me He leads me, he restores me. Yes, I walk through the valley, but you are with me. You comfort me, you prepare a table before me. Your goodness and mercy shall follow me, and I'm gonna dwell where? (laughs) Where am I gonna dwell? In his house, with him, in his presence. 
forever. This is all that we need. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, for to die is gain. So when we die, we are present with him. This is better than anything we could ever imagine. It's our true home, our eternal dwelling place. We belong in the presence of God. And it is in Revelation that he affirms this very thing when he says the dwelling place of God is with man. (laughs) He will dwell with us and we will dwell with him for eternity. And it is in this almost scandalous truth that we as the sheep would be with this great I am, the shepherd for eternity, that Charles Spurgeon reminds us that in the green pastures or in the valleys, we are with him and that's what allows us to not want. This is what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, I shall not want And come what may, if famine should devastate the land or calamity destroy the city, I shall not want. Old age with its feebleness shall not bring me any lack. And even death with its gloom shall not find me destitute. I have all things and abound, not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to bring and win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. The wicked always want, but the righteous never. A sinner's heart is far from satisfaction, but a gracious spirit dwells in the palace of the content. That phrase is so powerful, a palace of the content. This is what Paul likens in Philippians when he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Doesn't mean that I can win every football game that I play in, right? I can do all things, whether I win or lose, I can do all things. Whether I have a lot or a little, I know the secret of life. Paul says the secret of life is contentment that I shall not want because the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I can do all things. Whether I find myself healthy or sick, whether I find myself rich or poor, whether I find myself in a mountain or a valley, I know that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me along the way and he will be with me to the end. This is the reminder that we have in Christ that he is always with us. It is his presence that fills us and it is his presence that allows us to live a life of contentment instead of a life that's constantly grasping to fill up the empty void that is only filled with God himself. That is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We find that his presence is central. The third point is uh, this word rest. That when we find rest in him, that, that that is what builds everything. That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, therefore I can rest. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. And I think to myself, what the green pastures and still waters, what, as a, as a sheep, that would have just been a glorious thing, right? Walking around in a desert or a dry and weary land to find the green pastures and still waters. But what is that for you when you consider this personal nature of the psalm? What is your green pasture? What is your still water? And we think, well, Florida, right? <laughs> right now, especially after the snow, some of you are like, 
Florida vacation. You know, that is my green pasture. And vacations are wonderful. Rest is a good thing. But so often we're looking to live our lives of, ins- of, of insane pace and speed that we constantly are begging for a vacation to find a break. It's a, it's a place of rest that might provide a temporary rest. But this is no temporary place of rest. This is a place of eternal sustaining and enduring power that comes from God for he is with us in a place of rest that he gives us. He gives us rest and this sense of rest, this almost this, that he has set up from the very beginning, that he has designed us to live as a people who need Sabbath, a Sabbath rest. For me, I, as a pastor, I typically work and I'm very busy on a Sunday, but I find that my Sabbath, my rest is a Monday. So if you email me on Monday, you might, you might hear from back from me, most likely you won't, right? But I try to avoid certain things. Not my children, but I try to avoid certain things at work on a Monday, right? Because it's a Sabbath, it's a time of rest. When is it that you find Sabbath rest? The time to cease. And by ceasing, we worship God in our moments of rest, for we can rest, we can lie down, and we can go beside still waters and rest and stop and enjoy life. Why? Because we have limits, but God does not. A Sabbath rest is, is uh, proclaiming the worship of God, that he is limitless, and we cease from work knowing that he continues the work forever, and he does not need me to be working at a feverish pace, for in that I'm saying I need to prove myself. Rather, rest is saying I don't need to prove myself to God. I know that I have limits, and today I'm going to cease. I'm going to stop knowing that God is in control. And sheep rest, knowing when the shepherd is in control, knowing when the shepherd is there and he is near, knowing that the shepherd is there allows me to dwell in safety, to rest in his presence. Rest is found when we rest in the good shepherd. You could say this, this maybe looks like faith, that you sit down in the green pasture and you go beside the still waters and you have faith that you will trust in the God, in the good shepherd to lead you and guide you and protect you. We trust, you could say that's another way of describing it a place where you could have faith and trust in God, a place where you live in that, where you let down your guard and you allow yourself to be restored. Psalm, or Matthew eleven twenty eight, a very well-known passage in regards to even these themes that we're speaking of today. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Does that feel like you on a, on a Friday or on a Saturday? Weary and heavy laden. What does he say? Come to who? Come to me and I will give you rest. We find rest in him. And it is only when we come, we place our burden at his feet, and we sit down in the green pasture, and we rest like Mary, and we listen to him, and we think of him, and we we learn of him, and we drink of the living water that he gives us. There are so many metaphors that describe this. Sometimes this maybe feels like for you or for me just a time when you come and simply come home and you can be yourself. You're not trying to put on something for someone else or prove your worth. You come home and you, you, you let your hair down in a sense, right? And you just relax and you rest. This is the place and the bosom and the life and the nearness and the intimacy with God as our shepherd that we find when we rest in him. And then when we rest in him, we will find that we will, as it says in verse three, we will be refreshed. We will find restoration for our souls. We will find that thing that we need. So the fourth point is refresh. 
So he restores my soul, but we are refreshed. Uh, this word I, I found actually is, is like a, a, a little funny thing for, for Hebrew geeks or whatever. It's like refresh my nefesh. The word nefesh is the soul here. It's a Hebrew word. It's a little strange word. In fact, it's very deep and hard to understand in some ways for it means many things at the same time as we find in Hebrew. But when we think about being refreshed, he says he restores, he brings back the life that has been gone. He, he restores something that was missing and he, he gives us the vitality that we feel as if we were lo- lo- uh, needing. Almost like a deer that pants for flowing streams, Psalm 42.1. So my soul pants after you, thirsting. This word nefesh is the word soul here. He restores my nefesh. This word, uh, even in the original, kind of has a sense of throat or breath, that, that from the very throat and core of our being comes the breath of life. In fact, in the Bible, when it says that he breathes the breath of life into us and man became a living soul or a living being, we became what it means to be human when God breathes his life into our body, our physical and spiritual unity is found in the nefesh. And in fact, when the Bible says that you have committed murder, you slay someone, you take, you have killed and slayed their nefesh, their soul and their body. It is this picture of the physical and spiritual as one, the being, the life, that as a whole and total being that our physical bodies and our very soul within us finds refreshment and restoration when we come in relationship with God. So where do we seek that true lasting refreshment? So often we're, we're seeking in other things and not him. Jesus says, John 6, 35. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. It's like where our hearts are hung, our stomachs are hungry. Like the feeling right before Thanksgiving that you had. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited about this Thanksgiving meal. I'm hungry. Or as my kids say that every minute of the day, I'm hungry, right? You've snacked like every, every 10 minutes. This feeling of hunger. God says, Jesus, as Jesus says in John 6, I am the one who fills it. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What does that mean? I shall not want We have found rest in him and we will find refreshment in him through truth, through right doctrine, through the truth of God and who he is, not the chasing after the wind. You run around your whole life and you're never willing to rest or be refreshed in Jesus. You will find yourselves, as Ecclesiastes says, chasing after the wind. And when you have chased till your heart's content, you'll find that you are left with nothing of substantial value. For all that you have achieved is something that thieves can come in and break in and steal and moth and rust can corrupt. But the one who places his entire life in the presence of God and rests by him will find that his soul is restored. And then it is, even in this final kind of passage we're gonna look at, as we just really are gonna look at kind of half this psalm this Sunday, and we'll kind of explore the rest of it in coming weeks. But as we find in verse five, we see that, that as we go and we're resting in that place, that there is, a, there is still a place where he is going to lead us. For God becomes our map. Number five is map. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He is our guidance. He is the one who leads us. We tend to wander. You ever heard of the hymn, Come Thou Found? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Another classic hymn written in 1862. I used to sing it as a kid though. He, he leadeth me, oh blessed thought. 
You familiar with this one? Oh, oh, words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Wherever I go, wherever I be, it's God's hand that leadeth me. We like sheep have gone astray, yet he gently leads and guides us. He doesn't forcibly demand we go, but you see in this passage, verse three here, he leads me in paths of righteousness, and it is for his name's sake, not our own. It is for his glory, not ours. We are led into the right paths away from the places of destruction. And yet it is even in that path into the green pastures that we also find he leads us, as verse four says, through the shadow. Verse five, or verse four, and really number six for our study today is this word shadow. And I kinda wanna close with this thought and these moments here as we kinda consider that as was said earlier, that the same God leads us into the green pastures, the same God leads us beside still waters, that's the same God who is going to be beside us when we are led through the valley of the shadow of death. And I think James Montgomery Boyce says it this way, of the shadow lands, that we walk under the shadow of death as the mountain casts the shadow that feels very scary and afraid and we're unsure what to do. We find that God is there with us. Montgomery Boyce writes this. He says, it is important to note that the valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures which lie beside still waters. That is the Christian life. It's not always tranquil, nor as we say, a mountaintop experience. God gives us the valley also. And it is in the valleys with their trials and dangers that we develop the character of faith and trusting our good shepherd. We walk through this valley. We don't run. Isn't that notice as he says, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We walk through the valley. We know that he is with us. This is the great unifying factor to us all, that the presence of God is there with us. For As First Peter 2 says, for the straying, for we are like straying sheep, but we've returned now to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Even as our soul passes through this valley, we find that there is no fear, for we have a courage that is fueled with faith. This courage to fear no evil, for God is with us, he will protect us. And then as verse five and six describe to us that as we pass through that valley, that God is there to bless us with abundant provisions. He's willing to set a table for you and then to prepare a place for you. And that is that we pass through the valley, we come into his house, we come into his home. For that is what he says, and that is how he describes his presence. Verse six says at the end, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an incredible and comforting and encouraging reminder that what you are enduring and what you're experiencing right now might feel like the valley or maybe you find yourself in the pasture but we know that together through wherever he leads me, it is his hand that leadeth me and the place that we find ourselves united in is that one day we will all be together with the Lord forever in his house, in his home as he is our shepherd, the good shepherd of our souls. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are so thankful for these words in the psalm the great Psalm 23. We're reminded, Lord, how, how much we need these things. We need these reminders, God, for we so often forget. God, I, f- I feel as if these words are so familiar, and yet, and yet I need the reminders of these things that I've heard many times. 
Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you, Lord, even for the, the, the power of your mercy and grace, Lord, that we have seen and we have experienced and we have witnessed and walked through together as a church over the last several years. And God, I'm thankful that you have always come through. You have never failed us. And even in a moment as we're gonna sing about joy, that we, we, don't, we walk through these times knowing the abundant provision and sustaining grace that you are going to bless us with and this place that we long to go and meet uh, you together when you return. And so, God, we long for that. We hope in that. We walk in that today. And we're so thankful, God, that we can come and we can sing with joy today. In Jesus' name, amen.